0: Hey, what's (laughs) up? I already messed it up. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Lore Lodge. My name is Aiden Mattis. This is my producer and editor in Thornbury. And uh, we'd like to welcome you all to our first official podcast. Uh, It's absolutely insane that this is even happening for both of us. I mean, two and a half weeks ago, we were writing scripts for shitty movies in our uh, local cafe. I said, don't swear. 30 seconds ago and I already <laughs> messed it up. Um, we're trying our best here. <laughs> this is new to us, but uh, we're, we're going to be having a good time. You know, we've got a pretty good conversation lined up. Um, Aiden's going to be a surrogate for the audience. I guess this is a good time to do actual introductions as to who each of us are. Probably, um, and how the hell all this happened. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, for those of you that are, are new, my name is Aiden Mattis. I am a master's student at Bangor University in Gwyneth, Wales, but currently living in, in my apartment in Pennsylvania, United States. I'm a medieval studies student. I plan on being a professor one day in that field. I got into all of this kind of folklore stuff at a younger age. uh, I blame Supernatural season one, episode two for me being interested in the fleshy boys. But, you know, since then, I've, I've always found this stuff fascinating and talking about it somehow got to a point where I just made a fun video on TikTok about how I think that the national parks are hiding Wendigos from us and that there was some sort of secret operation there. And Teddy Roosevelt was behind it, and apparently enough people liked that idea, which I do fully believe in. Apparently enough people like that idea that we now have two hundred and fifty fo- two hundred fifty thousand followers yeah. on TikTok. Slightly different. Uh, sixty five hundred subscribers on YouTube. You guys are all awesome. Aiden and I are both absolutely our our minds have been blown these last few weeks, and you know you're making our dreams absolutely come true. So, uh, yeah, that's that's who we are and who I am. Uh, I'll let Aiden
1: introduce himself. Uh, real quick to Jolie, you should absolutely watch Supernatural. Uh, oh, 100%. He, he's the one who got me into it. I was turned off of it from, like, it was, I think it was the summer before sophomore year of high school that he showed me it. And going into that, I was like, I don't know, all I've ever seen is, like, the fandom stuff, and I'm just not sure that show would be my thing. Yeah. And then I watched the pilot, and I was like, all right, I'm in. Fair Dance enough. Yeah. He has uh, a in a few days. Yeah, I will own a 67 Impala at some point in my life. I don't care how I get it. It has been on that train
0: since we were in 10th grade.
1: It will never end. The train is going full steam ahead, never stopping. I will shovel coal into that fire until I die. Anyway, so my name is Aiden Thornberry. Uh, I am the tech guy on the Discord. I am Director Aiden on TikTok and Instagram, the one who you occasionally see him stitch for behind-the-scenes content and things like that. Uh, I went to New York University for film and journalism, and because I was a film student, I still don't have a proper job yet. I'm working on a farm right now. I employ him. He does, technically. <laughs> this has now become my most like successful venture since college. Uh, so thank you very much for existing and giving me a purpose again. Uh, feeling great about that. But what else? Uh, so I, I'm not that well-versed in the whole paranormal, supernatural. Like, the most I know is stuff from the show Supernatural. He's actually done the research. That's why he's the one actually putting out TikToks about all that stuff. If for whatever reason you have a question about that stuff, just don't ask me because I'm just going to say I'm not the Aiden to ask. Or ask
0: and then he'll transfer the question to me. Pretty much, That yeah. also works. Uh,
1: yeah. My My advice is essentially just... Go to Just ask me uh, yeah, if you right. want a question about how to do something film related, I'll try and give you an answer, but I'm still learning because it's very complicated. And you know, even after film school, there's still a lot to learn. But anyway, so that's me, that's all I have to say. I will be eating Oreos throughout the duration of this podcast.
0: Get some Oreo ASMR in this podcast, that's, so uh, that's very nice. All right, so first thing I wanted to bring up today kind of the thing that is The concept that is behind almost everything I've been talking about for the past two and a half weeks is the uncanny valley. And for those of you who aren't aware, the uncanny valley is a concept in human psychology where as something begins to look more and more human, we become more and more comfortable with looking at it. But it reaches a certain point at which it looks a little too close to human, but not human enough, and that starts to skeeve us out. That's things like... uh, You'll get a little uncomfortable if you see a mannequin in the mall at night, Um, you know, humanoid robots, things like that. Just that it's almost it's almost there, but it doesn't quite fit and your brain can't categorize it. It can't rationalize it. And so you you start to get that prickly sense. Your fight or flight response might go off. This has been documented with other other things that humans are familiar with. For example, the Appalachian not a deer. And for those of you who in the chat are Definitely going to nail me for my pronunciation of Appalachian. I understand you call it Appalachian when you're from Appalachia, but I grew up saying Appalachia, and I will die on that hill. We're a little bit east of Appalachia. A little so. bit east. So the Uncanny Valley, essentially, if you were to look at it as a, as a graph, it just kind of goes...
1: Whoop,
0: back up to human. So corpses are kind of like in the, in the valley, but they're not all the way at the bottom of the valley. At the bottom of the valley is the stuff you see in horror movies. Like uh, if you watched The Nun... The first time you saw the nun, you probably felt wrong, to say the least. But yeah, so that's kind of this where this all stems from, is that we've got, as a species, a I don't know what to call it, other than the Uncanny Valley, but we've got this spot in our perception of living things, of humanoid things, things that we're normally comfortable with, where we see it and we have an innate sixth sense saying, you know what, that's not right. That shouldn't look that way. I'm in danger. I should get out of here. And that is what contributes to the kind of thing that I've been talking about with what I've been calling the flesh pedestrian, but obviously also, you know, content warning, I'm about to say a couple of words, the skinwalker, the wendigo, the flesh gate, the goat man, the dog man, you know, all these other various creatures and, you know, call them spirits, demons, cryptids, whatever you want. But those things, those all fall within the uncanny valley. And I knew I had notes that made sense for this. You might remember me saying, I don't usually have notes, or I do usually have notes. And this time I don't, but now I do. I've made a point of now always having notes.
1: Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Yeah.
0: So yeah, with the Uncanny Valley, where where does that come from? There's a lot of scientific hypotheses. None of these have been proven, but it's kind of like how with the Appalachian not Deer, the, the scientific explanation is chronic wasting disease. And chronic wasting disease, while I don't know a ton about it, is a prion disease. And essentially, it's kind of like the same deal as Alzheimer's, where your tissue just starts to de- degenerate and you just... Slowly waste away. Chronic wasting disease. So that's the explanation for Appalachian not-a-deer. But with not-a-deer, that's not the only thing that they're categorized as. When we talk about not-a-deer, we often are talking about deer that have joints that bend the wrong way, or deer that stand up on two legs, or deer that have four eyes, or deer that have sharp teeth. So chronic wasting disease might make sense for some of them, but that's not exactly what we're always talking about here. So that's an example of the uncanny valley and something that's not human. But why do we have the uncanny valley with humans? You know, Aidan, do you have any guesses? With humans specifically? Yeah, why, why do humans have an uncanny valley effect? Why are we afraid of things that look
1: almost human? Well, before you get to what I assume your point would be, I'll come up with a couple options. Essentially, the first thought that I would have is just something that, like, you know, if you go into the history of the human species and things like that and elements along the lines of, you know, let's say we're talking about the, you know, the Homo sapien-related ancestors, but that were not actually Homo sapiens, like Homo and things like that, things that were very similar to our species, but slightly different, of a similar like playing field skill level to some extent you could have that like element of okay they are like you know they are more of a threat in some instances than perhaps a lion or a wolf or mm-hmm. things like that but i want to hear your reasoning.
0: all right so you you just said one theory the other theory is that the uncanny valley applies to things that are pale shallow eyed pale skinned um gaunt because we are naturally inclined to avoid sick people and corpses I don't like this one because human beings for the past, oh God, thousands of years have been known to care for the dead and also to care for the sick. It's something that makes us human. So the idea that we'd have the uncanny valley built into us to make us avoid sickness doesn't make a ton of sense. And if that is what it is, then we've been actively ignoring it for several thousand years. So from an evolutionary standpoint, it doesn't make a ton of sense. So what else could there be? Well, look at horror movie archetypes when the monster is humanoid what are you going to see think about like a nosferatu you've got pale skin bald head sharp teeth shallow sunken eyes longer face claws too tall limbs that aren't quite in proportion and if you think about that that's that's a lot of horror movie monsters that is a lot of scary stories have some or all of those specific traits and when we're talking about specifically, say, the the Wendigo, we're talking about something that is described as gaunt, its desiccated skin hanging from its flesh, its bones protruding, like all these disgusting descriptions of the being. But this is something that we're describing something that the way the Algonquin, the Ojibwe described this thing to European scientists and historians in the 1700s and the 1800s long before we had horror movies can
1: i cut in really quickly yeah two things one i'm really proud that you have that whole like desiccated skin bit like just memorized now second i just wanted to give a shout out to dusty papa in the chat he he said um if that's the case then why am i attracted to my boyfriend homie is pale and sickly looking loved (laughs) it fantastic made me chuckle (laughs) couldn't avoid it keep it coming are
0: super chats turned on on there
1: Uh, i don't know yet Okay, uh, we're still we'll, figuring we'll out
0: there. the whole YouTube live yeah. stream thing. We'll, we'll get, get there, there. eventually. We'll get there. If you don't know what Super Chats are, it's a function where you can essentially pay to have your your, your chat your, your be visible thing. the entire time and yes. show up when we actually look for it. Um, yes. a, lot of, a lot of people who stream on YouTube use it. I just thought it would be a fun thing to yes. add in when we get time, um, yes. both for your sake and for ours. But if you look at Horror Movie Monsters... They almost all have the same general characteristics. And I mean, let's, let's think about what, what are some things that everyone's scared of. Clowns.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Can, a lot can, of people
0: are scared of clowns.
1: Can somebody explain to me why like, anybody ever thought clowns were like a good thing to use at a party? Like, has anybody ever actually enjoyed a clown? I just I want to know. I enjoyed sure. a clown last night.
0: Moving there... swiftly along. Um, <laughs> clowns look almost human. They've got pale skin. They've got, often, shoes that are far too big. They've got gloves that make their hands look far too big. In in kind of a silly way, what we're talking about with Fear of Clowns is still the uncanny valley effect. And what this all goes back to, as far as I'm concerned, and Aiden cut me off if you think that I'm being realistic, if I'm being unrealistic, I think there was something back there a long time ago, something that hunted humans, and that through thousands of years and dozens of generations of human existence we have developed to be afraid of things that look like that things that have limbs that are too long skin that is too tightly pulled across its bones teeth that are too sharp faces that are too long eyes that are sunken not enough hair not saying you should be afraid of bald people at
1: all just like <laughs> shaved shaved sometimes it's just sometimes shaved sometimes it's just shaved sometimes you know they're not balding there's no there's no Loss of hair. It's just, it's just shaved. It's just shaved. It's a it's, it's, a, it's a stylistic
0: choice. It's what you want to... you
1: know. It's it's all for the aesthetic. You
0: decided you want to look like Jason Tatum. and so you did. It had nothing to do with your male pattern baldness and the fact that the last six men in your family all went bald. Um, All I can say to that is... Aiden's father has great hair.
1: It, he, thankfully, he does. Hopefully, I will too, but, you know, we're... Mm-hmm. All I can say to that is, who wouldn't want to look like Jason Statham? Anyway, as
0: I'm talking about the primal fear stuff, so we clearly have something in our genetic memory that has caused it to be that we are afraid of these traits. Now, what could that be? And if you've been following along on TikTok and YouTube, you will know that I believe it is what we have taken to calling the flesh pedestrian, partially because you're not supposed to say Skinwalker (gasps) when... You know, those words. Um, you gotta let me know before you see that. I gotta censor it. i son- not, Okay. okay. Not, not into that.
1: <laughs> but
0: yeah, uh, partially because you're technically not supposed to say those things, there's differences in the lore regarding whether or not that actually will attract them and how close you have to be to them to attract them by saying those things. I've said them a lot. And the the one thing I can say is I have talked about so many paranormal entities in the past two weeks that are summoned with the use of their name that i somebody commented on i forget if it was discord or tiktok or whatever but they were like there's a support group for all the demons you've summoned Uh, (laughs)
1: whoever said that thank you well done
0: (laughs) i can't drown my demons they're all in alcoholics anonymous
1: i mean at least if you do need to take care of that problem They're all in the same place at least once a week. Yeah, exactly. The nice thing, though, is that you live in the, like, quite literally in the middle on the main street of a small town, and you don't go into the woods alone ever. The woods are,
0: nobody goes into the woods alone. Well, some people do, but then they go missing, and then we get Missing
1: 4-on-1 by David Politis. Yeah, please, for the love of God, stop telling people to go into the woods and whistle at night. It's not a good plan, even if there are no such thing as skinwalkers, which we all highly doubt is the case. But nonetheless, if there are creepy men out there who like to kill people, that's a good enough reason to not do it as well. PSA over.
0: Just just a reminder that, like, Ted Bundy would pretend his car broke down to luring his victims. So He was
1: also un-characteristically un, like, and just, like, confusingly attractive to some women in the 70s for some reason. And now, there's a fan club for it. I don't understand it. I hate it. Anyway, moving on.
0: I also like to live dangerously. Anyway. But yeah, so... So I've really started using the term Flesh Pedestrian because these legends do have differences, they do have variations, and... Uh, You know, the Skinwalker is a witch who uses animal pelts and dark magic to turn into kind of similar to the whole werewolf idea, but uses it to turn into a hybrid animal human being that has super strength, super speed, can read minds, can move across the astral plane. And then there's the Wendigo, which is either a demonic spirit which can possess people or a psychosis of sorts that overtakes people when they uh, resort to cannibalism and then causes them to crave human flesh and never be satisfied. And in some legends, the lore works that they grow in proportion to the last meal they ate. So you could have a Wendigo that if it survived long enough would hit, you know, 30, 40 feet tall. The Ojibwe described them as being as tall as trees. The Algonquin described them as giants with a heart of ice. You know, there's there's a lot of different lore regarding exactly what these creatures are. So rather than get online and use the term Wendigo... When I'm talking about Skinwalker, which would, of course, invite all sorts of criticism and cause more arguments than it would anything else. I use flesh pedestrian because it's become my theory that there is something out there, something that lurked in the primal darkness of our ancient minds and that it has survived in the American wilderness, perhaps also the Siberian wilderness. I don't know a ton about what's going on in Africa, but I'm, I'm looking into it if there are any flesh pedestrian sightings down there. But uh, yeah, so that just to give people an idea, flesh pedestrian at this point is a term that I'm using for something that fits an archetype of cannibalism, super speed, super strength, humanoid figure, fitting those boxes of the desiccated corpse-like appearance, all, all of those things. That's, I guess, the best way to describe it. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Does well, what I, I think, said make sense? I think, yeah. And in addition to that, I think a fun thing... It Hang also on.
0: just sounds fun to say flesh pedestrian.
1: It very much does. Another thing to add on the actual description that he just gave was Part that... it's John
0: a... on my flesh pedestrian.
1: Sprinkles Sprinkles m- 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 um, m- it's a very fun term that somebody commented on a video, and now it's just become a thing.
0: Yeah, I see people saying flesh pedestrian on a lot of videos, on TikTok especially. And a lot of the time, it'll be somebody who doesn't follow me, and I'll say when to go, and they'll comment and like correct me to flesh pedestrian. And I'm like, ah... Uh, well, I am—I am the one who popularized the use of that word. Yep. <laughs> so it's—it's it's weird. It's taken on a life of its own, but I can't take credit for coining it because somebody else—somebody else—commented. I just thought it was really funny, and then it kind of took off from there. Um, it was, in fact,
1: really funny. It was—it's so funny. <laughs> I also
0: like uh, epidermis stroller.
1: Yes. We will, by the way, have T-shirts yeah. and such. That's coming a, out like with Flesh Pedestrian, pedestrian and, yeah. and a bunch of different... I actually have a buddy of mine from high school, really good at graphic design. He's working on a t-shirt design with Flesh Pedestrian right now. We have another friend who's working on Lore Lodge uh, content in terms of graphic design. We've got a lot of things in the pipeline coming your way.
0: And almost all of that is going to be available on a store? like at, Yes. At, at an online store? There will be some stuff that's patron-exclusive, so if you're interested in any of that, go and subscribe to the Patreon. We've got $1 tiers that just get you in and access to a lot of that content. Yes. Um, But, yeah, some of that stuff will be patron-exclusive, but for the most part, you're going to be looking at just being able to go in the store and buy it.
1: Yes. Yeah, just a a quick thing about Patreon exclusives versus public things, stuff like that. So... With the YouTube channel, obviously, everything is fair game for everybody. Everything is available to all people, all subscribers, everything like that. Obviously, his TikToks are available, so are mine, but those are, you know, whatever. The Discord, fully available to everybody, except there are specific channels for certain levels of Patreon subscribers, and if you get to the highest tier of level rewards, which is Hunters in the Discord, you get access to the... Uh, the campfire category, which is a text channel and a uh, voice channel that is available to all people of those subscribers. And another one called The Cabin, which is for the highest Patreon subscribers, $10 and up. And those are essentially two specific categories for some exclusive content, specifically conversations with us in those text channels. And more importantly, after every podcast we do, we'll be hopping in either the campfire or the cabin Discord in the voice chat just to chat with you guys. Feel free to just listen, you know, have your mic muted. We'll be looking, at least one of us will be looking at the text channel. So we'll communicate with you through that as well. But the idea essentially is just that there is something for those who are donating to us. And we're very thankful for that because as we you can see, we're. The rent. Yes, we have to pay the rent. And also, Like we're streaming from an iPhone right now. We want to get like
0: (laughs) if you could see the streaming setup in here, it's it's laughable. Yeah, Um, it's
1: it's very bare bones. Like we're just we're we're rocking with. I mean, I would. Yeah, we're rocking with pretty much what we got. We had to buy some things because we didn't have them. Yeah, like Uh, these microphones. Yeah, these mics were a big thing for us. Last minute.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Enough talk. We we can oh. they, they get the point we, we got at least fi- we got at least finish giving them the content they came for. All right, I, I know I just don't want to get too off. No, no, you're good. You're you got to remember this is a train, and it's currently very very. Direct. <laughs> you know that scene in the Polar Express where the train goes on the ice and it's just like spinning around. Okay, I mean, but that's, that's the my, best scene in the that's, whole movie. I know, but that's where my brain is at the moment. Anyway, so what might what might have created what might have brought about uh the the flesh pedestrians. Could they have been a natural evolution? Possibly. But if so, it wouldn't make a ton of sense that uh without any known mating habits, they've survived to this day. You know, we, we don't hear lore about how that happens. We only hear lore about how you can become one through certain means. And while that's certainly possible, the fact that we get similar legends across the world leads me to believe that there's a different origin. And I talked about this in our last Friday video which is a certain little specific passage in the Bible where they talk about Nephilim. And Nephilim is a term that means those who fall, those who fell. And the rational, common, scholarly belief is that what that meant was that there was a race of, or an ethnic group of human beings who were exceptionally large and would conquer others, would raid others. I think that they were being a bit more literal and that Nephilim means those who fell, as in those who fell from heaven. And that doesn't have to be the Christian heaven. You got to remember that a lot of these religions back then, at the time that this story would have come about, had generally the same set of deities, very similar creation stories. But supposedly, angels were cast out of heaven alongside Lucifer. And in Genesis 6, there is a discussion about how the sons of God had children with the daughters of men. And feel free to disagree with me on this if you're a biblical scholar, but I also am a biblical scholar, so do with that what you will. This is my theory. I know that there are other interpretations, but my belief is that the, the flesh pedestrians as we know it are the result of this union, that the giants that are spoken of, you know, the, the children of these, these unions could be possibly, and I'm about to maybe blaspheme here, but could possibly be the Norse gods, the elves, the Tuatha Dé Danann, the Egyptian gods, the Greek gods, that these mighty men, men of renown, might be the what, what we know of today as the pantheons of pagan religions. And that their offspring, for example, in the Norse case, Loki had children who were a wolf, a serpent, a giant. Another case where I think that, that something that lends credence to this is that we have the Anak in Numbers 13, who are mentioned, again, as Nephilim, as giants. And we also have the Jotnar in Norway and Sweden, who are ice giants. They're not exactly the same thing, but it's similar enough. And then you also have Native American lore about giants. You have tales of giants from the Middle East. You have tales of giants from Africa. Uh, you have tales of giants. And to be perfectly honest, you have some stuff that was constructed across the world beyond any known human means. So the Nephilim... And their offspring after Noah's flood, which was supposed to wipe them out, perhaps the ones that survived were the most savage ones. Perhaps they survived by running away into the woods and forests after there were so few of them left that humans could hunt them down. And the ones that survived, if you think about evolution, would be the ones that are the biggest, the baddest, and the meanest. And that would get you what we talk about as the Wendigo, as the Fleshgate, as the, you know, the more recent, the Rake, as some of these legends that come out of Eastern Europe, uh, out of the dark forests of Ukraine and Russia, of tall, lanky, cannibalistic creatures that roam the wilderness, Yukon Territory and the the Algonquin Territory in the United States, where we have all of the tales of the Wendigo. I'm, I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm not saying that I am objectively correct about any of this, but I think it's at least an interesting theory, especially when you tie it into, you know, what would have happened. Well, Europe was a violent place. Europe was a place where people would fight over scraps of land. People would fight over being the same religion, but one town having a different patron god than the next town. So it would make sense that these things would not exist or would be sufficiently in hiding in Western Europe so that you wouldn't find them. And then we have Yutnar and we have the Tuatha de Danan, and we have uh, some of these eastern spirits. We have the Strigoi, we have the story of the Anunnaki, which I think has been co-opted into something it's not, but I think there's an interesting little tidbit there. If if you don't follow the Anunnaki all the way through the ancient aliens pathway, you actually get something similar to Nephilim, to what I'm talking about right now. Uh, You know, the Greek gods who lived on Mount Olympus... And then when you tie that in with the fact that what you're looking at in Christianity and Judaism is essentially an interdimensional being, a set of beings, the angels, God, the Holy Spirit, all of these things that are present, again, in other religions. I just have a Christian background, so that's why I'm using these references. But if you look at what you've got there, what you're essentially talking about is interdimensional beings multi-dimensional space, and then when you conflate that with, say, what the Celts believed, which is that time is a spiral, and you can step in and out of it at Sheeds, at Fairy mounds, and you can go into the other world. And when you go into the other world, you have to make sure that you enter at the same time you left, because if you enter at a different time, then you will cease to exist, or you will age very, very rapidly. There's enough tie-ins when you look at world culture as a whole. If you look at one individual piece, you can easily disprove Norse gods. You can easily disprove Greek gods. You can easily disprove, I was going to say Chinese religion, but I don't know how you're going to disprove Confucianism. Because <laughs> um, it's That's a, valid more of a point. philosophy. valid uh, you I mean, Xi Jinping is certainly not some divinely inspired being, so I guess you can disprove it there. But yeah, so it, if you look at any one of them individually, any one structure of belief on its own, it's at least possible to come up with a logical argument as to why, you know what, it's not that, it's this this scientific explanation for what you're seeing. If you look at all of them, if you look at every single one, you bring together Tuodenon, the Norse pantheon, the Greek pantheon, the Mesopotamian pantheon, the Egyptian pantheon, the Judeo-Christian-Abrahamic system of belief, there's enough that it has in common that you have to ask the question, is there something here that we've spent too much time bickering between the little differences in beliefs to miss the whole picture? Are are we missing that because we're, we're so set on believing, oh, well, as Christians, we believe there's one God, so there can't possibly be Norse gods. Are we missing that what the Norse called gods, we might've called Nephilim? Are we missing that Am I making sense? I think so. What does chat think? Chat, am am I am I too big? Am I galaxy brand right now? (laughs) Chat,
1: chat has he done DMT and not told us? (laughs) I think he has. Well, that's the other thing. Now that you bring DMT into it, let's discuss that. (laughs) Um, So
0: I've never done DMT, but here's the thing: people who have done DMT, they talk about having experiences with some sort of divine some sort of interdimensional beings. And if you look at the story of Moses in the Bible, Moses speaks to a burning bush, and the burning bush is God. Now, the theory is that the burning bush was an acacia bush, and that Moses was just tripping balls. But if instead of saying Moses was tripping balls, we say, hmm, wait a second, humans naturally produce DMT. Maybe there was a reason that inhaling that much DMT all at once gave Moses the ability to speak to God. Maybe DMT is a pathway to speaking to whatever is out there, whatever is on a different dimensional plane than ourselves. Maybe you do enough DMT. And when Alex Jones goes on Joe Rogan's show and he's like, Joe, you got DMT and you're going to meet the clockwork elves. You know, maybe, maybe he's onto something. I'm not Uh, saying Alex Jones was right, but like maybe he's onto something with specifically the clockwork elves, because I, I don't know what that
1: means, but it sounds like what I'm talking about. I was going to say, I have no idea what clockwork elves are. Uh, sounds sounds a little like clockwork orange that movie that's that's what i'm thinking clockwork of orange no
0: i'm not talking about
1: clockwork orange oh i know clockwork. that's not what you're talking about but when i think of clockwork elves i just think of that movie but instead of normal-sized people it's elves doing all of that oh, stuff good
0: god that would be terrifying
1: it would be terrifying but also hilarious because if an elf truck came up to me and tried to beat the shit out of me with a baseball bat it would probably tickle and i would laugh and it would be funny <laughs> Oh boy. Because at the same time, it's like you think about it, there's no way an elf would be able to use a full size baseball bat. So, like an elf size baseball, how big's an elf? Is it like this big? Are they like, like, is it Santa's elves that are just like. We're talking about like Tolkien elves. Oh, that would suck because then they'd all hit. So, if we're talking Tolkien elves, they could all swing a baseball bat like you know, Ryan and Howard or Barry Bonds or something. So one hit and my head's 500 yards down the street. It's actually how the game of golf was invented. Uh, I believe it. The Scottish would be crazy enough to- T-ball. To, huh? T-ball. That's where it started? Probably. Okay. Well, you can't, you can't make war. a definitive statement like that and then end it by saying, well, <laughs> probably. Hey, this is a show about lore. It is, this is real life lore. <laughs>
0: Oh, my God. What was I saying? Oh, Just yeah. Just a little Venom, venom there. Yeah, head. so I have... I got to talk about the younger Dryas. Yes.
1: And then I've got to talk about how this ties in with missing 411. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> Let's find out to see how he does it. All right.
0: Tune in to see what happens. Will Aiden's brain break? Possibly. It's broken. It's broken. A oh, it's long been broken for ago. a long time, boys and girls, ladies and gents. So in the Bible, part of the reason that God inspired the part of the reason God decides to flood the entire planet is that the Nephilim have begun to cause quite a few problems. So he says, You know what? Let's 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 try this again. Let's start over. Noah, get in the boat. Noah's like there's a lot of animals. God's like, yeah, there are. I made a lot of animals. Nice job, right? It's mm-hmm. yeah, pretty cool, huh? And Noah's okay. like, we're going to need a bigger boat. And God's like, okay, we'll be able to build a boat this big. And he gives him very specific instructions on how to build the boat. But besides that, the point is, God's like, all right, Noah, you got all the animals in the boat? And Noah's like, yeah, I got all the animals in the boat. Noah gets all the animals in the boat and the world floods for 40 days and 40 nights and then it comes back down. There's still people somehow, but they survive in ways that we don't understand. Anyway, point is, putting aside all of the questions about how Noah fit two of every single species in the world into a
1: boat. Okay, so wait, and whether well, or not this is, I'm getting to it. I'm getting to oh, it. I have an interesting question okay. before you jump to that. So. Think about the fact that you just said that there were other people there somehow. So maybe it was less about every animal in the world two by two, but every animal in his specific area, awesome. which makes a lot more sense to put them on a boat, especially when it said other people were there. Okay. Yeah, sorry. You know what another idea is? What's that? You know
0: Atlantis? Yeah. We're going to talk about Atlantis. Oh Yes, um, I love when
1: he talks about Atlantis. So...
0: If you're familiar with Atlantis, the idea here is that Atlantis was an antediluvian, which means pre-flood, advanced civilization. What what does advanced mean? Well, Plato was calling it advanced, so that means it was more advanced than Athens. A lot of things have been more advanced than Athens, but that's what it meant at the time. So the interesting thing about Atlantis is that, like many cultures, uh, it is the Greek flood story. Atlantis, according to Plato, was a place of great advancement, great knowledge, but also great hubris, out just past the Pillars of Heracles, which we know today as the Straits of, Straits of Gibraltar. And so, basically what happened was, for their hubris, the gods decided to punish Atlantis by creating a massive flood and sinking Atlantis. When did Plato say this happened? Well, Plato said, hmm, about 9,000 years ago. Plato was writing around the year 400 BC. 9,000 years before 400 BC, so it's called it 9,500 years, something happened. And, and we know this today as uh, the Younger Dryas period, and we know it today as something that happened about 12 and a half to 11,500 years ago, which was a massive glacial melting period where the entire world's sea level rose hundreds of feet. For us to know that with current geological science, with current geology, with people who study this, with modern measurement tools, makes sense. We know what the sea level was at various times in Earth's history. How did Plato know that the world experienced a massive flooding event 9,000 years before he lived? And how did he get that timing spot on, How was he correct? How do scientists today, how are they just figuring out what happened with the Younger Dryas period? And Plato knew about it 400 years before the birth of Christ. Tell me there wasn't a flood.
1: I mean, just based off of the actual evidence in terms of the historic record, even going beyond the Bible, at least from every conversation I've ever had with you, there had to be some large scale flooding event. That was experienced, at the very least, on a scale that wrapped the, the modern world at the time, which, global... Where,
0: where was the modern world back then?
1: I mean, the Middle East,
0: essentially. It was very close to the Mediterranean, yes. to the Tigris and the Euphrates. Yes. Uh, to the, the Indian Ocean, to the Atlantic. Basically, people were living around bodies of water and didn't live very far inland because, I mean, the Romans didn't figure aqueducts out until centuries after Plato. So anybody living near water would have experienced what could be referred to as a global flooding event. A global flooding event would have pushed anything that we had pushed out of our societies, any creature that we were afraid of, deeper and deeper inland. And say that over time, Because we do have stories of giants and cyclops and trolls and ogres and all the things that our ancestors supposedly fought in the dark corners of Europe and Africa and Asia. Suppose you look at a place that never really urbanized, a place with vast untamed forests, unexplored cave systems that go for thousands of miles underground. Think about the geographic landscape of the United States and Canada. If there were something, if if the Nephilim did have children who were these monstrous beings who managed to survive the flood, where would they have gone? Where were they most likely to survive? Almost certainly in the caves, mountains, and forests of the one continent on Earth that had seen no urbanization yet. I mean, in North America, this is not a knock on the natives, but they did not have a habit of building walled urban cities. No. That was something that you saw in Africa, in South America, in Europe, in Asia. You didn't see it in the Americas. If something's out there, it would have thrived pretty well. You know, it would have been known. Clearly, we have the stories of Wendigo and the Lusophilia and the Skinwalker and all of these things. We have their stories. But when might they have start to f- started to feel the pressure? When, when do you think they would have started to feel the pressure? In, in terms of what? In terms of human encroachment on their territory.
1: The natives or the Nephilim? The bad boys. Probably the turn of the last century. Probably around the Industrial Revolution, right? Correct.
0: As trains started to crisscross the nation, as we got into cars, as things started to get loud, as our cities started to expand into suburbs. And so. How might they have reacted to that? Well, there's the possibility that they would have fought back, which would explain some very strange stories from the late 1800s about people coming across humanoid bears and all sorts of terrifying monsters on the frontier. But what if the U.S. government and particularly Theodore Roosevelt, knew of their existence, took it seriously, and rather than risking having people wander into these things, which they had no no possible way of categorizing, they didn't know what this was, mm-hmm. they couldn't capture one, couldn't kill one. What if instead they looked at the U.S., said, hmm, here's where we hear the most of these reports. Let's cordon off these areas, let's monitor them, and let's put our best men in charge of any operation that involves capturing one, killing one, rescuing people who fall into their grips would not be beyond the scope of many things the federal government has done so what i'm saying in a nutshell is what if thousands upon thousands of years ago some fallen angels got it on with some human beings and that caused the national park service to exist
1: is that open-ended or are you looking for an answer
0: a bit open-ended but i'm curious what you think you've heard you've heard this theory come yes, out of my mouth yes. a
1: dozen times so for those of you in the chat who who don't know a ton about my position here, I'm the tech guy, but also I'm a little bit more skeptical about the whole paranormal thing and stuff like that. Uh, I have not done the research just like he had, so I'm just, you know, kind of learning along with you to very much of an extent. But essentially, so, I mean, from a totally secular perspective, in the sense of science, no like further beliefs, anything like that, just history with the limited knowledge that I have, at least in this field. Yeah, I think there's a validity to it, you know, considering... He was an avid hunter he was a big nature guy to put it really pedestrianly it would not surprise me if when he was on his extensive hunting trips if he came across something that he couldn't explain and that's the reason why he was the one who kind of led that charge i mean it it, it's it's a theory that holds water i i would love to see some proof that we we might be able to do at some point with GoPros and walkie-talkies <laughs> and flare guns and and trying yeah, we, to survive in the middle absolutely of Yellowstone,
0: love to do a, uh, a nice little trip through Yellowstone or something like that with GoPros and somewhat heavily armed.
1: Just oh to yeah, yeah. See if we can find something about it. That's the thing is, like, even beyond anything paranormal, if you're just trekking through Yellowstone for like a multi-day trip when you're staying there and all that fun stuff. Uh, you got to be prepared, considering there are grizzly bears, there are wolves, there are American buffalo that can yeet They're you. are Americans. There are Americans, actually, yeah. But yeah, the buffalo can yeet you like 15 feet in the air. That doesn't bode well for people.
0: I'd like to actually, while we're on the topic, I'd like to quote Teddy. Exactly. Um, more, of paraphrase. So... Teddy Roosevelt had a conversation with a, a man named Bowman on a hunting trip once, and he, he recalled that uh, Bowman and a friend had set out to trap Beaver in a rugged river valley, and this is from Mental Floss, in what was then Montana territory. They went up a mountain pass where, the year before, a lone trapper had been killed by, uh, by an unidentified beast, the half-eaten remains being afterwards found by some mining prospectors who had passed by his camp only the night before. They left their horses at the foot of the pass and climbed up to a small glade where they pitched camp. With some hours of daylight remaining, they went about to set their beaver traps in the stream and returned to camp just as the sun dipped behind the screen of pines. With a shock, they found their lean-to flattened and the contents of their packs scattered among bear-like footprints in the earth. Bowman's companion made a torch from the campfire and peered at the tracks. Bowman, he said, that bear has been walking on two legs.
1: That was either a very interesting bear, like Wotek no from that. the. Well, okay, just as a devil's advocate, for some reason when I no, when I can't. even... stand on two legs, but they won't walk on two legs.
0: Generally, uh, uh, maybe like a few feet, and they'll do that like weird, like
1: so. There's wait, thing. I, I will play devil's advocate here only because I really love this story. Uh, Wotek, the artillery bear, was a Polish brown bear talking about a
0: trained bear in world war one he wasn't
1: trained they like loved him he just like he hung around while he was a cub and then he would eat cigarettes and beer and they were just like this guy is great and they would wrestle with the bear and so he was just hanging out in world war ii with these soldiers they made him an official i think he got up to uh whatever's above private corporal maybe whatever it was Because what he would do is like he would actually help out the war effort while these guys were shooting off artillery rounds in these little dug trenches or whatever. The bear, I had to censor myself there, would go over to the truck, pick up these crates of artillery ammunition that would take like three to four humans to carry, and carry it over to the soldiers. Dude, I want to make a movie about that so badly. that's so cool. But anyway, may, may, aside, I, may I get
0: back to my story about yes. Teddy Roosevelt?
1: Aside <laughs> from a Polish artillery bear, there's not a lot of bears yeah. that walk on yeah. two okay. feet. Exception, not the rule. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah.
0: But so he says, Bowman, that bear is walking on two legs. Bowman laughed off this idea and the two trappers soon went to sleep in their repaired camp. But Bowman was awakened in the night by a fetid stench and the fleeting shadow of a great body in the entrance of their shelter. He shot his rifle and the beast
1: retreated into the forest.
0: Fetid stench. Fetid. Yeah. Smell of rotten meat.
1: Yeah. We know where that is And this is, is going. a story
0: that Teddy Roosevelt heard and, you know, t- to his credit, basically said, I-, I believe the man believed wholeheartedly what he was telling me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Knowing what I know about Teddy Roosevelt, <laughs> that does not sound like the kind of thing that he would simply allow to let go. This is a man who was an avid outdoorsman. He was a hunter. Uh, he was considerably progressive in terms of uh, bigger government policies protecting wildlife environmentalism if anyone were to do it it would be teddy and the idea that he would have sent out expeditions to determine where these creatures live and then cordon them off into u.s national forests in no way seems far-fetched to me No, really I-, I don't think that's unbelievable at all and then when you think about how that transcends into today, we have the missing 401 phenomenon. We have men, women and children who go missing in our national parks who right out from under the right out from under the eyes of the people that they are with will just disappear and it's in situations where it's utterly impossible. Old men who can't walk without a walking stick disappearing and search parties looking in a 20 mile radius and not finding them children disappearing and then reappearing up. Sheer cliff faces that they couldn't possibly have climbed. Hunters just vanishing. And a lot of people say, oh, well, a lot of these disappearances, almost all of them coincide with cave systems, with cave entrances. If you've never been hiking, if you've never been in a cave, that seems like a reasonable explanation. Oh, they were hiking and they got lost in a cave. The amount of effort that it takes to get yourself into a cave, it's not a small amount of effort. And if it were caving expeditions where this were happening... Or somebody was like, hey, guys, I'm just going to go hop into that cave real quick and see what's down there. Their friends wouldn't come back and say, hey, we had no idea where he went. They would say, hey, he went down that cave. Can you look for him? It is not. There are places where there are sinkholes and abandoned unmarked mine shafts where people have fallen in. Hmm. But those are not the cases that get talked about here. Those are we're, we're talking about the cases that aren't solved. We're talking about the people who go disappearing and, and we just don't know what happened to them. Because if somebody disappears and there's an abandoned mine shaft and their body is at the bottom of, bottom of it, we, we know what happened to that person. That's not who we're talking about here. We're talking about people who are hunters, soldiers, outdoorsmen who just up and disappear from within their backpacking group in the middle of the day and they are never found. Their clothes are found sometimes. The weirdest part is when their hiking boots are found just neatly placed together But that's, we'll talk about that a different time because I can't get into Missing 411 in one podcast. That's just, that's a podcast of its own. Yeah. But yeah, point is, there's enough evidence in my mind to support the government cordoning off national parks to prevent people from accidentally wandering into this thing's territory, whatever this thing is, or these things. And when you have the Algonquin, when you have the Navajo, when you have the Iroquois, the Cree, the Choctaw, who all have similar enough stories not saying they're the same, but similar enough, there's no way that it just was something they all independently made up. It's like the flood story. There's no way that everyone across the world, without talking to each other, made up a flood story. Something happened. And the thing is, for a long time, scientists said, oh, nothing happened. That was just, you know, it was made up. And then, as tends to happen...
1: Later, science yeah proved them wrong. Can we just say, from a scientific standpoint, if multiple cultures say something happened, at least just say maybe, because saying no when there's a lot of people saying yes is generally not a wise decision. I think we need to clarify
0: that what we're talking about here is science, yeah, and not like everyone else at the party is doing cocaine.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. That's yes. Very much so. Just wanted to clarify. Yeah, no, no, no. When when there's a large group of different cultures saying... Like, I'm not being metaphorical. I mean genuine, actual cultures. Not three of your friends at a party doing a mound of blow, and they're saying everyone's doing it, you should join. Yeah, no, I'm talking like if there are multiple cultures saying that a thing happened in history. It's at least worth looking into. Yes, there's at least... A chance that hey maybe it happened you should do some scientific research research come up with a hypothesis test it figure it out see if you're right or not and then move on yeah
0: all right well i i have come to the end of what i wanted to discuss with today's podcast
1: all right thanks for stopping by the lore lodge guys thank you very much everybody